Well, a happy Easter to you all. What a what a wonderful day for us as Christians to gather to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, this is the most glorious and, and joy-filled day as we recognise the significance once again of the resurrection, the, the the power of God on display, the security of our salvation, the the hope that's been secured for us for all eternity. Uh, what a day, uh, and therefore. Uh, what a wonderful day for uh, for many of us who have been able to regather physically in the church building and share that joy together. Uh, and I know that that's been done at a distance and and over over the top of some masks and and all of the different mitigations that are in place. But I hope that those who are in the church building today, uh, physically gathered together, can sense that tangible uh, sense of excitement uh, as you gather together with one another. And of course, for those of us who continue to join you virtually and digitally online, uh, our prayer is that we very much know that too. We know the truth of God's word as we turn to it now. Uh, we know the, the sense of togetherness that this technology can enable us to have uh, and that our hearts are warmed together uh, and encouraged and uplifted as we celebrate this resurrection day together. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, and I invite you, wherever you are, would you repeat that with me as we say it together? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen and hallelujah. Uh, for, for this morning, as we turn to God's word, I'd like us to turn to John's account of that resurrection Sunday. Uh, and so if you could find uh, John 20 in your Bible or on your device, it'd be helpful. Uh, we'll read from there in a second. And we're actually going to take the time to read the whole chapter. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, picture of the, the drama, if you like, unfolding throughout that day and indeed for the week that would follow. Uh, and as we read through, tr try to note how the theme of, of believing uh, keeps being spoken of. That, that's a common theme throughout John's Gospel. Uh, but particularly this morning as we get towards the end of John chapter 20, uh, it's going to help focus our main thought this morning. And that is how the resurrection leads us to believe. And so let's turn together in God's word to John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they had been staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know what they, where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. 
Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's turn to him in prayer and ask for his help as we study and spend some time in this passage. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's in your word that we see the good news Easter message. The message of your your sacrificial death, your rising from the grave, your triumphant ascension back into heaven. God, we thank you. What a glorious day this is as we remember and celebrate Resurrection Day. And now as we meditate on this passage from John 20 and a few other passages from elsewhere, God, would you help us? Would you speak clearly to us? May we know your presence with us. And it's for your glory we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen. The final line that we read in John 20, by believing you may have life in his name. This is is why God inspired John to write these words, not not just to tell a story, but to enable belief, to, to give us clarity, to give us assurance regarding who Jesus was, what he said and what he did. It's why Christians are sometimes called believers, because we believe And the Easter account of Jesus' death and resurrection is central to that belief. But but that belief is not just intellectual. It's not a stagnant thing. It is active. It's not something we just have in our heads. It's lived out. It's a core conviction that, that changes our lives. Did you notice that in verse 31 of chapter 20? By believing you may have life in his name. See, believing gives life. Uh, not just our own life but the life that Jesus promises his followers will have to those who believe in him Uh, as I mentioned believing is a key theme throughout John's gospel we see it right from the start now to the very end in chapter 1 we see in, in verse 12 he explains that although not everyone accepted Jesus yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God 
See, this life in his name is believing that brings life. The believing that brings life, sorry, is life as God's children. Uh, just one other place where we see this concept of believing, John 3.16. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have life. Believing leads to life. And so let's consider more about what it means to believe, particularly as we consider the resurrection. What does the Bible show us about what we're to believe about this, this about Jesus rising from the dead? And then what difference does it make to our lives almost 2,000 years later? And so to help us this morning, we're going to see at least three things from John 20 and a few other passages. We're going to see that we're called to believe what has been done. We're going to believe what is being done. And we need to believe what will be done. Believe what has been done, what is being done, and what will be done. And firstly, and we're going to spend the vast majority of our time here considering this first point, that we believe what has been done. And by that what I mean is that we, what has been fully and finally accomplished through Jesus' death and resurrection. You see, John 20 begins with that, that sad account, the sad sight of Mary Magdalene heading to the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid. Um, but the tone changes quickly as as we read how she saw that the tomb had been opened. And so she runs to get Peter and the other disciple, who's, who's likely John himself. And they run to the tomb also. And they go in, they find the tomb empty. And we're told that the other disciples saw and believed in verse 8. They saw firsthand that the body of Jesus was not there. Yet, yet it's clear from verse 9 they still didn't quite fully appreciate what that meant. Verse 9, they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And so even though Jesus had told them he would die and he would rise again, even though they knew the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah who would come to give eternal life, they still couldn't piece it all together. And, and in the midst of their pain and their grief and, and their confusion, we can't be too hard on the disciples here. They had seen Jesus killed. They knew he was dead. They'd watched him give his last cry. They'd watched him take his last breath on the cross. Mary and some of the other women were one of the ones who went to see where he was buried. They knew that Jesus was dead. But now, now the tomb is empty. Mary had claimed it now Peter and, and the other disciple had seen it. Jesus' body is not in the tomb. It is not there. And this is where we see the picture start to build. Listen closely to what has been done. Jesus died. Jesus is now risen. So we must believe. And John 20 moves on. The attention turns to Mary. She had stayed in the garden when the others had left and she's crying. She's convinced that someone has taken the body of her Lord. We see it in verse 2 again in verse 11. She's convinced that someone has taken the body and she doesn't know where the body is. Jesus' body wasn't where it was supposed to be, where she thought it would be. And even when angels are with her, Mary's assumption is that someone has tampered with Jesus' body. But of course we know that is not the case. Look at verse 16 again. Jesus is with her in the garden. She turns, she firstly doesn't recognise him, but Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus' body wasn't in the tomb, but it hadn't been taken by someone else. He had risen. And so in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the other disciples and with the news, I have seen the Lord. 
It's an incredible scene and it shows what has been done. Jesus died. Yes, that was Friday. And now Jesus is risen. So we must believe. Jesus died. Now he is risen. So believe. And the chapter moves on uh, to show Jesus then appearing to his disciples in various, various ways. In verse 19 to 23 we see him appearing that evening to the group who were gathered in the locked house. And he shows them his hands and his side. And in verse 20, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Of course they would be. You can only imagine the elation in the room when they realized what Jesus had done. He was dead. Now he is alive, they believe. But, but not all the disciples were there. And so not all were so certain. And I'm so thankful for Thomas. Uh, he's another one of those disciples who I think, a little bit like Peter, sometimes gets a negative reputation. But I'm so glad that Thomas's interaction here is included in God's word. So, so Thomas wasn't there the night that Jesus appeared to everyone that evening. And so he couldn't believe what they told him. Thomas just couldn't believe it. He, he was pretty indignant about not believing it either. Regardless of the reality that everyone had told him that this is what was happening, Thomas needed more convincing. And so in verse 25 we see him say, Unless I see... The nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. And this is a pretty high bar that Thomas is setting here, isn't it? The testimony of everyone else is not enough. Even if Jesus appears in a crowd, it's not enough. He had to touch and feel the physical proof before he would believe. I will not believe. Or the ESV translates that, I will never believe. These are strong words. You could almost say defiant words from Thomas. But they show the difficulty of accepting the thought of Jesus being raised from the dead. Thomas had seen, had, had saw Jesus die. He knew he was in the tomb. How could he now be alive? But of course, a week later, Jesus shows up. Thomas is with the rest of the group this time. Jesus shows up again and speaks directly to Thomas. Verse 27 of John 20. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. What a moment. And I love the detail here because it shows that Jesus knew Thomas's specific request from verse 25. You need to see my hands, Thomas. You need to see, you need to put your finger where my nails are. Okay, put your finger here, see my hands. You want to put your hand into my side? Okay, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Talk about a very definite answer to a specific request. Jesus meets Thomas exactly where he's at. And I love that detail. What, what a gracious and patient saviour we serve. And I also love the fact that we're not told whether Thomas did it or not. Um, with Jesus standing in front of him, I, I wonder if Thomas did touch his hands, did put his hand in his side where the sword had pierced. Or, or I have this mental picture of Thomas just standing gobsmacked barely able to speak but, but that's just my thought that's not in the text so Thomas's reaction we are told verse 28 my Lord and my God complete acceptance of who Jesus is and what has happened see Thomas knew that Jesus had died and now he knew that Jesus had risen and so he believed and maybe it would be helpful for us just to pause in the text for a moment here and, and recognise the idea that Thomas gives us that believing isn't always straightforward. I think that's one thing that we can see from Thomas's experience is that, that, that just because others believe doesn't mean that it's easy for me to. 
what if I need more proof? What if I need more time? What if I need more evidence? Well, I'm sure many of us can relate to, to Thomas's expression in verse 25. Unless, dot, 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 I will not believe. Maybe it's a sentence we've heard others say. Maybe it's something we've thought or said ourselves. And I wonder what you would put into that gap. Unless God makes it clear to me, I will not believe. Unless God answers this prayer, I will not believe. Unless God fixes this, I will not believe. Unless I can understand the problem of suffering in the world, I will not believe. Unless, whatever it might be, I will not believe. Now these are very real and important statements. So what can we learn from Thomas's experience and Jesus's response to him? Well, it's clear that Thomas's experience here, where Jesus gives him such clear answers to his doubts, that experience is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. What I mean is that Jesus doesn't explain that this is how he will deal with everyone who brings doubts to him. Look at verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. See, Thomas's belief is based on what he has seen. Jesus explains that there will be many more who do not have the same evidence as Thomas, but who still choose to believe. And this is faith. The Bible defines faith in Hebrews 11.1 1 like this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is faith. Now maybe that still makes it sound uh, like faith is a, is a little wishy-washy, a little pie in the sky. But listen to how the really helpful uh, study notes in the ESV Bible explain faith. Biblical faith, they say there, is not blind trust in the face of contrary evidence. It's not an unknowable leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, eternally trustworthy, the God who has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ, whose promises have proven true from generation to generation and who will never leave or forsake his own. You see, faith in Christ is not blind. It is a solid trust on who we know him to be, on what we see of him in God's word. And God's word is all we need to know that we can trust in who he says he is. This great God, this resurrecting God. Now I realise that doesn't go anywhere. Well, it maybe makes us start towards answering some of those unless statements. Um, hopefully we'll have the opportunity to look at some of those very pertinent questions at another time. But for today, what I think we see from Jesus's words to Thomas is a recognition that there will be many who will not see, but who still believe. And Jesus says they'll be blessed. Not as a result of blind faith, but because they can see the wonder and the beauty of God. And from what they know of God, they can see that he is indeed the only worthy one who is able to have their complete trust and faith. So, so yes, many of us do, many of us will have questions or doubts at different times in our lives and in our faith. And, and Jesus doesn't reject us because of those. Rather, he wants us to come to him with those doubts. And he knows that as we do, as we draw near to him with those doubts, then we will see his loving care more clearly. We'll see his resurrection power more clearly. We'll see the, the ability to be able to build our confidence in who he is because of what we do know of him. 
so we can be assured and we can have faith because of what he has done I realise that may have raised more questions than answers but I hope you can see from Thomas's experience here that Jesus accepts him with his doubts in this very clear and specific circumstance Jesus gives uh, a conclusive proof to Thomas but Jesus also says that there will be many who because of faith because of what they cannot see they still choose to trust and they will be blessed but that is not blind faith that is faith built on what we know the rock solid truth of who God is as we see him revealed in his word and so if you are someone who's wrestling with doubts and with questions run to God with those doubts and questions seek out his word for what he says is true rock solid truth and get to know him and as you know him then your faith in him will grow so we believe because what because of what has been done Jesus died Jesus is now risen so we believe and for those of us who do look at what has been done we, we look at the death of Jesus on Good Friday and we see the penalty of all sin that was placed on his shoulders his righteous shoulders we see him separated from his heavenly father we see him beaten and scorned for our sin we see, therefore see him in all of that picture of Good Friday as the sacrifice in our place our sins placed on him and then we see Resurrection Sunday when, when it looked like death and sin had swallowed Jesus up. No, he rose, he broke free, victorious over it all. Showing that the penalty of sin had been fully and finally paid. That death was not the end for those who trust in him. That the way is open for those who fully trust in Jesus to be reconciled with God the Father. We can know sins forgiven because the penalty has been paid. We can know life with God because we can now approach him as righteous, holy in his presence. Not because we have earned it, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus' righteousness is now, is now what we're clothed in. See, he took our sin, dying in our place. We can then know the joy and the freedom of his righteousness being imparted to us. And therefore we're welcomed into God's family. Life with God for now and for all eternity that is what has been done that is what has been won for us and I pray that you would know that not just as an as an Easter experience but you would know that as a daily reality as you live in relationship with God and so perhaps this morning you need to ask God for forgiveness you know that you're still carrying the weight of your own sin and so he has done what needs to be done for you to know forgiveness and freedom in him so would you ask him for forgiveness would you lay your sin before him? Lay your whole life before him. Take up his righteousness. Not because any of us deserve it, but because he freely gives it. Accept what Jesus has done for you. And believe in what has been done. And believing in what has been done is not the end of the story. It's not The Christian life does not end on Easter Sunday. Uh, Jesus' work continues because he has promised a continual present reality with his people as well as an eternal security to come. And that's where we're going to briefly finish by considering those two things. How the resurrection can help us believe what is being done and believe what will be done. So let's quickly think about how we can believe what is being done. You see, following Jesus is exactly that. It is following. It's a continual life-changing journey 
which we're on for the entirety of our lives. Uh, Remember the words from the final verse of John 20. By believing you may have life in his name. You may have life. This is not just a future promise, but it's also a present reality. We live our lives as followers of Jesus. And we do that by being empowered by his Holy Spirit. And that's the ongoing work in our life. That is what is being done in each of us as followers of Jesus. See, in John 15, as Rick helped us think about a number of weeks ago, we see Jesus being talked about, or Jesus talks about that process of knowing him and living in him and remaining in him will therefore bear fruit for God's kingdom. Later in Galatians 5, Paul talks and describes that as the fruit of the Spirit. Indeed, throughout the New Testament letters, we see time and time again the reality that following Jesus impacts every area of our life. There are tangible, there are tangible results, if you want to call it that, tangible fruit in the life of those who follow Jesus. In our speech, in our attitude, in our conduct, in our, in our relationships, in our finances, in our careers, in our priorities, in our families, in our church. There is a continual work that is being done in the lives of those who follow Jesus. And sometimes if we hear those things in the wrong way, they can sound a little daunting. It can sound like we have to make an incredible amount of effort and energy uh, to try to constantly be better versions of ourselves. But that's not the case. And and we can know that because of the the resurrection. The resurrection proves that it's not the case that it's up to us to be better. You see, as the New Testament shows us, the transformation that goes on in our lives is not down to our own effort or our own willpower, but it's the result of the Holy Spirit within us. And we know that he is able to transform all of us, regardless of your past or your history or even your present. He is able and powerful enough to transform all of us because he is the same spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. We know that from Romans 8, 11. We know that from Ephesians 1, 19 to 21. That the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in those who follow him. This is the same power that Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1, verse 8. When he said that you will receive, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will receive power to be my witnesses in the whole world. Talk about a daunting statement, but it's not based on, the, on us as disciples and our own ability. It is based on the reality that the Spirit has come upon us. And it's the Spirit's power within us. That enables us to be his witness. You see the power of the spirit. Who lives in those of us who believe. Enables us. Equips us. For every good work that God has called us to do. So if you're a follower of Jesus. And, and, and you, you must know that he has things for you to do. They're very tangible and real. And they're concrete things that God has planned for your life. And he is calling you to them. But it is his work, in his people, by his power, all for his glory. And so our role is to believe that what he has done is going to enable us and his spirit has enabled us to do that now. And so I pray that you know the power of God's spirit, that we surrender ourselves more and more to him and be obedient to where he's leading us so that he can do what he wants to do in us and through us by his power and for his glory. So believe. The resurrection shows us that we can believe what is being done because the same power that raised him from the dead is now at work within each of us. Finally then, the resurrection helps us to believe what will be done. Jesus' resurrection proves and, and it secures the future reality that for us all eternity awaits us all 
And our existence on this planet is not all that we were created for. There's an eternity beckoning every single one of us. And for those of us who are believing in what has been done by Jesus, that, that he died and rose again to conquer the enemy of sin and death, we believe what he has done. Therefore, we're, we're living our lives believing what is being done, that, that he is at work in us, equipping us and enabling us to follow him faithfully. Then we can know with certainty what will be done. And there are numerous places in scripture that we could turn to. Let me just turn as we close to 1 Corinthians 15. These wonderful words that show the significance and the power of the resurrection, but also what it proves for our eternal security. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 22. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then those who have also then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man the resurrection of the dead also comes also through a man for as in Adam all die so in Christ all will be made alive Christ has been raised from the dead and therefore those of us who trust in him our, our eternal home is completely secure as we read in John 14, he has gone there to prepare a place. And because he's gone to prepare a place, he will come back for those who follow him. Our eternal security is, is definite and concrete because of Resurrection Sunday. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he has now ascended in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so for those of us who believe, for those of us who trust in Jesus, for those of us who are confident in what he has done, by dying on the cross and rising again in victory for those of us who know and believe in what is being done and we are living our lives for his glory by his power then we can know what will be done that we will be with him for all eternity in his kingdom knowing him fulfilled in him and so our prayer is that you know that that this resurrection Sunday may we believe Believe what has been done. Believe what is being done. Believe what will be done. And I pray that that is your reality today. That as God has shown the wonderful reality of his salvation, his resurrection, that we would know that and therefore be empowered to live lives that glorify him because of it. Let's pray together as we finish. Father, we thank you for this wonderful Resurrection Sunday. We praise you for what the resurrection shows us, not only of your power, of your might, of your eternal glory, but also, Father, of, of everything that you have done for us, how you have saved us from our sins, how you have paid the penalty yourself, how you have then opened up the way for forgiveness and reconciliation and for us to be welcomed into your presence for now and for all eternity because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ as our sins are placed on him. 
And Lord, then as we, as we seek to live our lives for you, you empower us by that same power that raised you from the dead, your Holy Spirit inhabiting us. Oh God, we feel so unworthy. But yet because of what you have done, Father, we want your name to be glorified. We want you to be exalted. And so we give you praise. Lord, we long to live our whole lives that you give us on this earth for your name, for your glory. Because we know that our eternity is with you and that it is secure because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so would you help us, Father? Help us to believe. And by believing, may we know life in his name. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.